Welcome to this Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 10. First this week I want to announce the winner of October's prize for members active in the forum. Congratulations to Marissa Furpy. I hope I'm saying your name correctly, Marissa. Uh, an, an original print uh, of one of my photographs, the distant Tokachi Mountain, is in the post on its way to you. This is the photo number uh, 663, if anyone would like to take a look. The print was created with an Epson PM 4000PX printer, which I believe is the Stylus Photo 2200 in the US. This printer uses uh, pigment ink for archival quality prints, and I'm using compatible paper, so you can expect your print to last uh, longer than a standard photograph under the same conditions. So, on to this week's uh, main topic. Today I'm going to talk about exposure, exposure compensation, and the times that I switch to manual mode when shooting. There's a lot to take in, so you might need to concentrate a little if you're not entirely confident in these areas. Typically I use aperture priority mode, but under certain conditions I switch to manual mode and set the aperture and priority myself. I'll explain a little bit more about uh, the situations I do that in a moment, but first let me explain briefly about the relationship between the aperture size, uh, the shutter speed and the ISO settings. For some of you this will be just a recap, uh, but I'm sure some listeners will benefit from a brief uh, overview. When we talk about aperture size, we often use the term f-stop. The f here stands for factorable. Basically, your camera will have a series of aperture values which you can set. The smallest number, uh, such as f1.4, f2.8 or f4, they represent the largest aperture size uh, that your lens will allow you to set. The widest possible aperture varies by lens, so it will differ as does the uh, smallest aperture that you can set. This can be, uh, say, f22, f32, or smaller. The weird thing is is that the the smallest numbers equal the largest or the widest aperture, and vice versa. So, you know, it will make this podcast too long to explain the reasons why, but uh, let's just remember it this way. The key aperture settings are f1, f1.4, f2... 2.8, 2.8, 4, 5.6, 8, 11, 16, 22, and f32. Some lenses will go smaller than f32 to f45 or even 64, uh, but they're not so common. With each stop counting down from the smallest number or largest aperture, we are effectively halving the size of the hole that lets light into your camera. Depending on the camera, You may also have half stops or third stops, uh, but the numbers I just gave are the primary stop values, so let's concentrate on them. And if you can, it will greatly help your shooting if you memorize them. Now, to help us change these settings uh, while shooting uh, with some simple mental arithmetic, we should remember that there is a direct relationship between the aperture values and the shutter speed. And these vary uh, depending on which ISO setting we have selected. To illustrate this, if you have your camera available, you could try it now. Uh, If not, just keep on listening. 
This will work on any digital camera or film camera that allows manual settings of the ISO and enables you to see the aperture and shutter speed settings. First, set your camera to aperture mode, aperture priority mode. Next, set your ISO to 100 and aim your camera at a scene that you know will have constant light for a while. Then, half press the shutter button to have the camera meter the scene and show you the aperture and shutter speeds that it selects. Make a note of the aperture and shutter speeds. For the sake of this example, let's say that you have set your aperture to f8 and the camera is giving you a shutter speed of 1 250th of a second. If you then change the ISO to 200, you will see that the shutter speed changes from uh, 250th of a second to 500th of a second. Change the ISO again to 400, and you'll see the shutter speed changes uh, to 1,000th of a second. So we can see that changing the ISO is basically doubling the sensitivity and therefore halving the time needed to make the same image exposure. Now let's return the camera's ISO settings to ISO 100 and you'll be back uh, to f8 at 250th of a second. This time let's change the camera's aperture settings. Remember that f5.6 is one stop larger than or wider than f8 so obviously when we change the aperture from f8 to f5.6 we'll be letting in twice as much light. So what's going to happen uh, to the shutter speed? That's right, it's going to have halved from uh, 250th of a second to 1 500th of a second. This is the same as changing the ISO from 100 to 200 and doubling the sensitivity of the film or the sensor. To make the point, let's make the aperture smaller by going uh, to, say, f11. That's one stop smaller than f8. Now you'll see that the shutter speed changes from 1 500th of a second uh, at f5.6 through the original 250th of a second at f8 uh, to now 125th of a second at f11. If you stop down further to f16, you'll have halved 125th of a second to a 60th of a second. Now I know that uh, 125 when halved is actually 62.5, uh, but your camera will display 1 60th. Again, uh, let's just remember this as it is. Of course, if you were to set your camera to shutter priority mode, you could do a similar thing by setting the shutter speed to 250th of a second, and the camera would select f8 for you. If you change the shutter speed to 1 60th of a second, it would change the aperture to f11 for you. It's all relational. If, by the way, you are getting in constant readings while doing this, uh, maybe you could try this at night under artificial lighting, uh, such as a light bulb in your living room. Uh, you might also want to put your camera on a table or a tripod uh, to keep it steady during the operation, so that the readings will be consistent. You can also uh, just switch to manual mode, which will allow you to just click through the settings and get a feel for how it uh, all works. Also, if you own a handheld light meter, uh, you can play around with this in a similar way to get an idea of the relationship between these uh, three settings, the, the ISO, the aperture, and the shutter speed. I do find 
handheld meters to be very useful. I own one and use it on occasion when when there's a lot of contrast in the scene. Uh, but I think that cameras these days uh, that have built-in metering systems have got so good that you you don't really need to carry a meter anymore. And also bear in mind that if it is a digital camera, you will have the ability to view the uh, image on the LCD. So the meter's pre- pretty much becoming redundant now. Again, though, it is an excellent way to get a hang of uh, the complexity of exposure, and I found it very, very useful um, a few years ago when I bought mine. So I think you get the picture. Uh, By changing any combination of aperture, shutter speed, or ISO, we can change the amount of light that hits the film or digital sensor and change the exposure. Now that we know that a properly exposed image can be obtained by any combination, let's talk briefly about EV, or exposure value. Exposure value is a unit used to describe the amount of light for any given exposure. Let's take the example given earlier, which was f8 for 1/250th of a second at ISO 100. This has an exposure value uh, or an EV of 14, and so does f16 at 1/60th of a second, and so does f5.6 at 500th of a second or f2.8 for 1/2000th of a second. They're all EV 14. It may be easier to understand the relationship between the EV values and the shutter speeds and aperture settings by looking at a table uh, that I posted in my forum some time ago. I'll include a link to this post in the episode's notes. Obviously, being able to obtain the same exposure using different combinations of aperture and shutter speed gives us the ability to make artistic decisions about the resulting image. That is because the size of the aperture will affect the depth of field. If we want the whole scene in focus, uh, what we call pan focus, we must select a small aperture such as f16 or f22 or smaller. This also though depends on the focal length of the lens and the distance from your camera to the subject uh, on which you're focusing. The thing is there, that is a very big subject and probably will make this uh, podcast too long, so we'll leave that for another day. Anyway, pan focus is often something that we want to achieve in landscape photography to ensure that the whole scene is sharp for our eyes to explore. If, however, we want a very shallow depth of field, say for a portrait or wildlife shot, in which a sharp background would detract from the main subject, we would need to select a wider aperture. So we may decide to go for f2.8, f4 or even f5.6, with uh, longer focal length lenses that is. Now before we move on to some real world examples, let's talk briefly about exposure compensation. As I mentioned in last week's podcast, your camera will always try to render the scene in a neutral brightness, similar to that of an 18% grey card. Now if the scene is actually very dark, say it contains a lot of black objects or such as uh, some of the scenes attached to last week's episode, the camera will try to brighten them up and overexpose your image. So you have to underexpose to ensure that the scene is recorded accurately. Likewise, in daylight, uh, if the scene is very bright, the camera will try to make it uh, a neutral brightness again and underexpose the shot. At times like this, you have to overexpose to make the shot accurate. This practice is called exposure compensation, and most cameras, except for very basic 
uh, fully automatic models will have some ability to compensate exposure quite easily. It's usually something as simple as turning a dial. You also need to know by how much to turn the dial, of course, which I have some practical advice on. So let's talk about a practical application now that we can do these exposure calculations easily in our heads. This will also illustrate some of the reasons why we might want to switch to manual mode on occasion. In February 2004, I went to Hokkaido, the northernmost island of Japan, to shoot wildlife. Hokkaido in February means snow, and lots of it. Snow will generally fool your camera's meter into underexposing by around one to one and one third of a stop in overcast conditions, uh, or up to two stops in bright conditions. If you were to rely on your camera's meter, you would end up with a grey snow, uh, which I'm sure you'll agree would not look very nice. To make snow look white, you can compensate by moving your exposure compensation dial to plus one and one third, or one and a half, or maybe a little more in brighter conditions. If the entire scene is going to be snow with no darker patches, you need not worry about switching to manual mode, as the metering will be constant so the amount of exposure compensation needed will also be constant. However, if the scene were made up of very light patches, uh, such as snow, or similar conditions might be light-coloured sand, uh, and then dark patches as well, such as wet rocks or trees, depending on the metering mode you're using, uh, and where the subject is in the frame, your camera can make all sorts of mistakes. It's under this kind of conditions that I would switch to manual mode and set the aperture and shutter speeds myself. Let's take a look at the first photo today. This is number 287, which was shot at f5.6 at 1 800th of a second. You can view the photos in iTunes or on my podcast page, which is linked to the top page of martinbaileyphotography.com. You'll see a number of Japanese cranes in the photo. They're on a field of snow uh, with a dark forest in the background. This is exactly the sort of contrasting scene in which you, you might want to use manual mode. I had metered from the snow, which was probably giving me a reading of around uh, 2,500th of a second at f5.6. The camera was... Uh, remember trying to give me a nice medium grey coloured snow, so this was far too fast a shutter speed. It was a hazy sunshine on that day, uh, not full sunshine, so I didn't need to compensate by a full two stops. To find the correct exposure, I first took a shot of the snow with nothing else in the frame, then compensated by adding around one and two thirds of a stop. To calculate this, you can either count up two thirds from Uh, plus one stop or down from plus two stops. To count up from one stop, start with the one uh, 2,500th of a second and then double the shutter speed to uh, 1,250th of a second. Then click twice more on your shutter adjustment to go past the 1,000th of a second to 1,800th of a second. To drop back down uh, by a third of a stop from two full stops, first double the speed uh, to 1,250th of a second as before, then double it again, uh, which will give you uh, 1,640th of a second, which is two, two full stops. Then 
click back down one to 800. You don't have to do the mental arithmetic to find out exactly what the third is, uh, as you know that there are three clicks per stop. Your camera will help with the finer adjustments. In actual fact, if you don't want to even remember how to do this doubling and halving of the times, if you remember that uh, one and two-thirds of a stop is five-thirds, then you can just click five times after what the camera is initially telling you. If your camera is set to use half-stops and not thirds, you will have to just uh, click once between stops. You'll probably also have different numbers to play with uh, from the start. This makes the example a little confusing, possibly, uh, but I can't go back to February 2004 and take my shots again, so I'll just quickly mention that when I set my Canon EOS 5D to use half-stops, in manual mode I have the options of uh, 750th of a second, 1,000th of a second, uh, 1,500th of a second, 2,000th, and 3,000th of a second, etc. If you're using a similar scale, you need to set the shutter speed to 1 750th, which would be one and a half stops more than what your meter reading gave you, which would probably have been around 1 2,000th of a second. One important additional piece of advice here is that if you're using a digital SLR, it's very useful to be able to check that you're not blowing out your whites. Take another practice shot and check the histogram. If you have a spike on the far right-hand side, it means that there are areas of your shot that are too bright. With a very white scene, you should see a peak on the histogram uh, weighted on the right side, but not right up against it. Some digital SLRs also have a flashing warning uh, when the white is close to or actually blown out. If you see either of these warning signs, drop down by a third or half a stop and take another practice shot. Repeat this until the histogram looks good or there are no exposure warnings flashing on the screen. This way you should be able to ensure that your whites are white and yet not blown out. Let's also take a look at another shot uh, attached to the episode, which is number 297. This time the white cranes are obviously the same colour, they they didn't change colour at all, and the brightness of the scene was pretty much the same, so the luminosity would have been constant from the ones that were on the snow. Uh, but now they're flying against a totally dark background. I shot them in manual mode with exactly the same settings, 5.6, f5.6 that is, at 1 800th of a second. Had I left my camera to do the metering again, I would have overexposed uh, the shot to brighten the dark background, and the birds would have been so blown out that there would have been absolutely no detail in the white whatsoever. Instead, you can make out the detail in the feathers, uh, and the background is dark as it actually was. Another interesting thing uh, is that even when the birds were shot flying overhead at the same f5.6 at 800th of a second, they were again perfectly exposed. You can check this in shot number 280, the third and last shot for today. This is another scene that would have fooled the camera's meter without a doubt. Of course, there are numerous other ways you can get good exposure in high contrasting scenes, uh, such as using spot meters uh, on your camera, uh, though this is not usually 
uh, an easy thing to do when you're photographing moving objects such as animals. Uh, the other thing is using handheld meters, uh, but getting into these things today will make this podcast too long. Uh, so I'll, I think we'll we'll leave it for now. And also, I uh, I've got a fair amount of my weekend left to enjoy. So let's uh, call it a day. The examples I gave today were of bright scenes, uh, but if you want to see some examples of negative exposure compensation, uh, you know, to ensure that a scene is dark. As I mentioned, take a look at the shots that I introduced in episode 9 of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. This uh, contained a few shots from India during a recent trip. So this uh, podcast has been uh, very heavy going, I think, uh, a lot of numbers. Uh, But if you're not familiar with exposure values, f-stops and exposure compensation, uh, you might want to listen a few times until you come to grips with the theory and the practical application. If you have any questions, though, I'll try to answer them in the forum at martinbaileyphotography.com. And if I can't, I'm sure someone will be able to answer. The important takeaway is to remember that exposure value uh, is constant, depending on the light necessary to create the image, of course. But the exposure value stays the same, but you can get the same exposure value by changing either the aperture or the shutter speed. Or you can also choose to change the amount of light needed by changing the ISO. So, finally, a reminder that you can contact me from the contact form on the podcast page or the contact us page on my website, martinbaileyphotography.com. And also, it would be great to speak with you in the forum. The amount of members is growing daily now, and there's it, it's a good crowd in there. We're having a lot of uh, good, interesting and civil conversations. So look forward to seeing you. Thanks very much for listening. I'll speak to you again next week. Bye-bye. This has been a Martin Bailey Photography Podcast.